Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I'm joined by Stefan Chin. Hello. I'm ready to wrestle. Do you have a favorite TikTok meme, Stefan? Mm, no. <laughs> or do you, <laughs> like know. everyone else, forget everything that happened I, during the period of time like, you spent on TikTok? I'm trying to go to sleep, but I'm going to open mm-hmm. TikTok, and I know it's a bad idea. Yeah, And then... It's like two o'clock and I'm like, damn it, here I still am. And then that video comes up where they're like, you've been scrolling for a while. I know it's fun, but maybe take a break. Stefan, what's your tagline? Uh, Gelatinous cube man. Sam Schultz is also here. Sam, what's your tagline? Barney, my pebbles. (laughs) Is that copyright infringement? Uh, nah. I think it's less than 14 seconds, so it's fine, right? Is that how it works? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was uh, definitely fair use. Sari Riley is also with us today. Hello, Sari. Hello. And what's your tagline, Sari? A large group of ropes. And I'm Hank Green, <laughs> and my tagline is, this screw is too many. Uh, uh, my best to work. <laughs> Veto that one. <laughs> Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory, but we're also keeping score and awarding sandbucks from week to week. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but judging by previous conversations with this group, we will be bad at that. So if you, the rest of the team deems your tangent unworthy, 
They will force you to give one of your sandbucks. Uh, so tangent with care. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This week, from me. A virus wants nothing. It cares not at all. It's not trying or wanting or moving. It's a fluke, nothing more, a devastating bore. It ends up in your cells without choosing. Then your body's own parts grab a hold and they start to copy it over and over. It's just what they do. They can't tell it's not you. Then it plows through you like a bulldozer. Our bodies are hacked by these particles that are no more alive than a bell. So when you cough or sneeze, just remember this, please. Your body does this to itself. (laughs) That poem was about viruses, but this episode is about disease. Virus is just one kind of the many, many kinds of disease. And Sari, can you tell us what a disease is besides just... (laughs) Disease. <laughs> <laughs> well, spoiler alert, that's all the etymology. We we took dis and ease and we were like, ah, uh, I'm not in ease right now. And then at some point in the 16th century, people were like, ah, let's let's call that sick also. Mm-hmm. It, it is a very vague definition. It is any sort of mm-hmm. condition in a living animal or plant or Mm -hmm. one of the parts of that living animal or plant or organism that Mm -hmm. impairs its normal functions and usually has some sort of signs or symptoms or other characteristics that we would consider bad, but Mm -hmm. are just annoying in some way, like extra mucus. What what if like I got, if I just like stub my toe, is that a disease? I don't think so. I think that's an injury. What about a hangnail though? I don't think that's a disease either. (laughs) So diseases can be, I found four (laughs) categories. You can be, you can have deficiency diseases, hereditary Uh diseases, infectious diseases, which are the ones caused by microorganisms like viruses and bacteria, and physiological diseases. So I guess... That would be oh, stubs like hangnail, hangnail territory. Yeah, I think a hangnail is a physiological disease. I feel like diseases to me link to more systemic function. Like those are one-off events. Mm-hmm. Like a like a mosquito bite is like one-off, but malaria is a disease yeah. or like something that is transmitted by that. Or like food poisoning is is a one-off event that we but have isn't a name a mosquito for. bite an infect like a, a small infection caused by the saliva of the mosquito I learned in Animal Crossing? It is <laughs> it is a allergic reaction to the saliva of the mosquito, oh, not so an infection. Are allergies a disease? Mm, definitely. Because I because ulcerative colitis is basically an allergy to my own body, and that's definitely a disease. I was also looking up words like disorder and syndrome and condition. And how those relate to disease, it all seems very wibbly to me. I'm sure there's a doctor mm-hmm. out there who has very clear lines in their own head, but there's like a Venn diagram of all these terms. I have a suggestion, and this is really neither here nor there, because I don't think that we're going to get to a definitive definition of disease. But I'd like to remove the D part of the word and have it just be called Z's. Okay. <laughs> Why? Sounds way cooler. It's like... It's like I got a chronic Z's. Is catch some Z's? Oh, like uh-oh. out of the public <laughs> that's discourse a, enough? That's probably that bad. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to catch some Z's anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> would be not ideal. If that really was neither here nor there. <laughs> the good news is that I, I right now am winning this episode because I have one point and no one else has any. But that is about to end because it's time for. <laughs> 
One of our panelists has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is real, and we have to decide which is the true fact. You can play along at home at twitter.com slash scishowtangents. Please don't fill out the poll before the episode comes out, because we, in that situation, will be aware that you are cheating. Yeah. All right, so play along with us at twitter.com slash scishowtangents. And Sam, I believe you are the one who's going to supply us with these facts. That's true, I am. According to an article that I found in the MIT Technology Review, there's only been one example of an American astronaut suffering from a severe illness or infection while on a mission. Which of these was it? Number one, an astronaut on the ISS had to be evacuated back to Earth in 1986 after eating a salmonella-contaminated package of beef tips and gravy. Number two... (laughs) One of the astronauts on Apollo 13 suffered from a urinary tract infection due to a combination of dehydration and holding in his pee too long as they were on their perilous journey back to Earth. And number three, Mm. an astronaut on Apollo 15, upon returning to Earth, complained of chest soreness and was found to be suffering from deep pectoral myopathy, or green muscle disease, which is where a lack of exercise in the pectoral muscle causes them to turn green and swollen. Wow. Okay, so we have three potential serious diseases of astronauts in space. Number one, an astronaut had to be evacuated back to Earth after eating salmonella contaminated package of beef tips and gravy. (laughs) Two, an astronaut on Apollo 13 had a urinary tract infection because of dehydration and holding the pee. Or three, Apollo 15 astronaut got deep pectoral myopathy or green muscle disease, which sounds like absolutely the worst. (laughs) So let's start at the top here. This seems like it would be hard to to not prevent salmonella from being a thing. They just have a bunch of pouch meals, and pouch meals are 100% safe. Yeah, everybody knows that. <laughs> it's common knowledge. You just boil them. Yeah. You boil them, and all the salmonella dies. Salmonella is more of a chicken thing, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, we sound like experts. Everyone should definitely listen to us. <laughs> I know that I know nothing about food science, and so I'm keeping my mouth shut. I don't know. I used to eat frozen dinners all the time. That's the only experience. Oh, yeah. Beef tips and gravy is like on the upper side. Frozen dinner meals. <laughs> yeah, that's like I haven't had a I haven't had a TV dinner in so long, and I yeah. want one. I want the ones with the with the mashed potatoes that have the very thick film on the top. <laughs> yeah. You got to puncture it with a fork oh. a bunch of times before you put it in the microwave. Yeah. Oh man, those are the good old days. But also, holding the pee sounds like a reasonable thing that would happen to an astronaut. I agree. This sounds very reasonable to me. And Apollo 13 was the one that was bad. Mm. So they they probably had to do a number of things that they wouldn't have done. Uh, If it wasn't Apollo 13, I would also believe it, though, because to some extent, you're in a very small room with two other guys, and it's just like, I'd just rather not. It's It's too embarrassing. I don't want (laughs) to. You just got, like, so much pee shyness that you get a UTI. What was the third one? Uh, Green muscle disease, deep pectoral myopathy. I've never heard of weak pecs turning green. <laughs> yeah, if it could if it could happen, it should have happened yeah. to me by now. <laughs> yeah, I look at Hank and I'm like, he's never turned green. So <laughs> this doesn't make sense. It's just like the Apollo missions are so short. Mm. 15 was was one of the longer ones. And I, and like they did not have a way to work out, whereas on the yeah. ISS they do. I agree. I feel like they're too short to have your pecs turn green unless it was, it was a very, like, physically unfit 
asked her not to begin with, which I think they still <laughs> well, they have. There were, they were none allowed. of those back then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. All of them are muscles. They were all ripped. You know what, you f- fuckers? I'm going to go with the fucking green muscles. Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to go with the UTI. It seems like a safe choice, which probably yeah. means it's wrong. I don't know. Uh, I don't know either, but the, the UTI seems the most reasonable to me, I guess. So I'll go with that. The right answer was the UTI. Ah, ah God damn it. I'm never going to get my... <laughs> <laughs> During Apollo 13, as most people probably know, an oxygen tank exploded and the astronauts had to cram onto the lunar module that was still attached because they hadn't made it to the moon yet when the thing exploded for their emergency trip back home. And they got as much water as they could while they were evacuating, but they only had enough that they could ration out 6.8 fluid ounces of water every day oh, wow. for the three days they were heading back, which is like, Whoa. I looked it up, it's like a... Um, Uh, Like a little perfume bottle worth of water. (laughs) So due to not drinking enough water, astronaut Fred Hayes got a urinary tract infection. uh, And it eventually, I think, became a kidney infection. There was a few different stories of what kind of infection he had. But he had like a fever while he was lost in space or like on his way back to Earth. (laughs) So the thing that gave him the UTI is pseudonymous aeroginosa, which like something else I'm going to talk about in a second is a disease that's been shown to be more virulent in space. But another contributing factor, this is a little conjecture on my part, is that they ran out of pee bags on the lunar module. So when they got back, they had filled up all their pee bags and they didn't have any left. And they probably were all holding it in pretty good. I imagine that would mess them up. Yeah. And so he was sick for a couple of weeks, but he made a full recovery. This is why you have to stop when you're on a road trip. Mm-hmm. Eventually you fill all the bottles and... Oh, no. You got to stop to empty (laughs) everything out. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, the beef tip one is fake. But in 2007, a study found that both salmonella and the disease that the dude on Apollo 13 had potentially can become two to three times more infectious and virulent. Virulent? Mm. I don't know how to say that word. In space. you're doing it. So non-spacebound salmonella spends most of its life sloshing around in different fluids, like digestive fluid, but it has the ability to tell when it's in a flowing liquid or when it's not, and it's like nestled into the lining of your intestines, and that's when it blooms and starts Mm. to spread. So it just happens to detect zero gravity as the same as being nestled into a part of your intestines where it can spread, so it's like always blooming when it's floating around in space. And that's the same with a bunch of different diseases. So people are kind of worried that diseases will be worse and easier to catch in space. And then the last one, the uh, deep muscle thing, deep pectoral myopathy, that is a disease that commercial poultry gets when they are uh, in their cages and they can't flap (laughs) their wings. And all the blood pools on their chest and then it turns green and rotten. And then their meat's green when they cut it out of them. So, oh God, that's sad. the that's the worst thing I've ever heard. And also, I should have known that wasn't a thing. <laughs> <laughs> why was I? Well, why was I so reckless? <laughs> if it had been true, everybody would have been so impressed. Yeah, yeah, that's like twelve shots of water or less than that. It's just not a lot of water, man. Yeah, for like that's almost sad. four days. That would be rough. Ugh. Like I like, always have to pee, so I would have been a disaster on that trip too. <laughs> Yeah, no. In general, I think none of us here are <laughs> super cut out for space. Yeah. Who do you think is the best the best space candidate on the podcast? Because I've got I've got a vote. I do too. I, I also have a vote. Should we say it on three? Oh. Okay, yeah. 
One, two, three. Stefan. Stefan. Sam. Me. No. Wow. Well, I have too okay. many diseases. <laughs> that was my I, I logic not for be, not picking you, Stefan. Yeah, I would not be good in any kind of like in combat. In space, <laughs> in as a pilot, like don't put me in any situation where I'm responsible for other people's lives. It's not. I think you would keep good. your head though. You'd be calm. I could stay calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, like we would all be dying, and you'd be calm. Yeah, and it wouldn't really be that. Yeah, I would stay calm too much. <laughs> Sam, I feel like you could train for it, and you'd be good at it. You could also keep your cool under pressure, and you don't have as bad eyesight as Stefan. So I have great yeah. vision. I have, great I have 2016. Yeah. <laughs> And you could choose yeah. someone out if you had to. Oh, God. <laughs> i kick him out the airlock. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we know that Sam is best for every job, from Santa Claus to Garfield to astronaut. <laughs> Next up, we're going to take a short break, and then it'll be time for the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster... (laughs) Use some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand, the only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, They sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing around the office of their MGO 850 plus their best selling honey. It's not the same. (laughs) It's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. 
It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 plus Manuka honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, everybody. It's a tie ball game. Everybody's got one point. But Sam and I don't have any more chances to get points because it's time for the fact off. So the win is going to go to Sari or Stefan or both because they have brought science facts for us in an attempt to blow our minds. And Sam and I each have a sandbuck that we can award the fact that we like the most. In order to decide who's going to go first, here's a trivia question for the two of you. The World Health Organization certified that smallpox had officially been globally eradicated in 1980, which is pretty recent. But but it's a very old disease. What year did the first clear reference to inoculating against smallpox first appear in writing? I hate history questions because all of time <laughs> before now is just mushed into one ball for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say 1870. Just throwing Ooh. it out there so Stefan can pick higher or lower. I'm, I'm going to I'm just going to say 1918 because that was the Spanish flu. Which is not related to smallpox, but that was the year that came up in my head. So here we go. Uh, yeah, no, it was the it was the year fifteen forty nine. Okay, <laughs> those geniuses. <laughs> so Sari, uh, Sari won, but like not that in a way was... she should be proud yeah. of. Yeah. Oh, no, they should both be ashamed. Never ask me the date and time of anything. So, Sari, you do get to choose who goes first. I'm going to go first because I'm really excited about my fact. Mm. What a treat. During World War II, two Polish doctors figured out a way to save people in Roswedow, Poland, from being deported to German labor, prisoner of war, or concentration camps by making a bunch of patients test positive for typhus, which is a highly contagious infectious disease. Typhus, which is also known as typhus fever, has symptoms like a purple rash, headaches, fever, and historically has led to pretty high death rates. So Nazi authorities in Poland made doctors report any suspected cases and send blood samples to German-controlled labs so they could conduct tests and find infected people before carting them away to labor camps, if not executing them doing evil Nazi things. And the test they used is called a well-felix test which is a kind of agglutination test invented in 1916. So the well-felix test is called an agglutination test because it's positive if the sample gets all clumpy in a test tube or on a slide because antibodies, which your body makes in defense, are reacting with antigens, which is anything that causes an immune response. So Mm -hmm. if you're sick with typhus, for example, your blood has typhus-related antibodies floating around. And in the labs, they would add some of an antigen called Proteus OX19, which is known to look like a typhus-like antigen and is close enough to activate those antibodies 
So the typhus-related antibodies would react with the Proteus OX19, the sample would get clumpy, and they'd be like, please keep your typhus-infected person out of our labor camps, and then ignore them. So, Sari, is it called a well-Felix test because one of the doctors is named Felix, and at the end of the test, the other doctor goes, well, Felix, looks like this guy's got typhus. No. They were just two scientists. So how do they use that to, that to save people from the labor camps? Two doctors, Dr. Eugene Lazowski and Dr. Stanislaw Matulowicz. I'm glad they didn't develop the test because <laughs> yeah. then it would be a Lazowski-Matulowicz test. Much more complicated. They discovered that injecting a patient with a suspension of the Proteus OX-19 sort of like a vaccine, would cause patients' immune systems to make antibodies and therefore clump up the well-Felix test, which resulted in a false positive. So they injected lots of people with any vague typhus-like symptoms under the guise of protein stimulation therapy, uh, Mm. which was this generalized thing. Sure, just a fake thing. And the Nazis had no reason to believe their tests were being tricked because they were all being sent off to German labs. So they eventually Mm -hmm. declared an epidemic area and an estimated 8,000 people were saved over three years from being imprisoned or killed. It was like a vaccine against labor camps. (laughs) Yeah, because they knew that the Nazis were afraid of getting sick. And so they just like tricked a bunch of people and protected these small villages, which isn't a lot in the grand scheme of things, but was like very clever at the time. Did they ever get found out? Like, I I mean, just doing this, I I assume, put them in substantial danger. Did this all sort of come out after the fact? Yeah. So in an April 1980 issue of U.S. Navy Medicine, they published about it. Like, they wrote about it and was like, back in the day, this is how we tricked the Nazis. And it seems like towards the end of those three years, they were receiving threats, like, some Nazis were suspicious of, like, the epidemic area and, and the tests. And so I think either one or both of the doctors fled because they didn't want to be found out. But, yeah, it, they just, like, wrote a detailed article about it that now I can read in U.S. Navy Medicine, Volume 71, Number 4. <laughs> <laughs> I love this fact, Sari. Uh, Stefan, what do you got for us? Uh, so today we're talking about diseases, and as, as I mentioned earlier, I have some diseases, and one <laughs> of the diseases that I have is glaucoma, and my fact today is about gla- uh, glaucoma. So I guess it's actually a group of diseases, and the common factor is that they cause vision loss over a long period of time by damaging mm-hmm. different parts of the eye, and usually people with glaucoma have a higher than normal pressure of the fluid in the eyeball. But there are people who end up suffering vision loss while still having normal pressures. But in general, we don't know a lot about what causes it. And so these researchers at MIT and Massachusetts Eye and Ear were studying glaucoma in mice and found that the mice's own T cells, so that's part of their immune systems, were actually the thing that was responsible for the damage to the retina and causing the vision loss. And that's very strange because... Up till now, I think the general idea is that it's the high pressure itself that's directly causing damage by squeezing the different parts of your eye. I guess eyes don't like that. But it gets kind of weirder because they think that these T cells are causing that damage because they had previously encountered bacteria that you find in like your body normally. Mm-hmm. So sort of like the bacteria would be making your T cells kind of angry and then your T cells, which aren't normally able to get into the retina are able to get in because of the high pressure, although they don't know 
how that mm. works exactly, then the, the angry cells can start punching your your eyeball parts oh, no. um, and causing damage. <laughs> and so they tried to do a few different things. They tried inducing glaucoma in mice with no T cells and found that the high pressure on its own was causing some damage. But once pressures returned to normal, the disease didn't progress any further. And they tested it in germ-free mice, so mice that don't have any bacteria, and they were not able to induce glaucoma in those mice. Hmm. And so then they looked at humans with glaucoma and found that they had five times the normal level of that kind of T-cell. Wow. So all of this together suggests that glaucoma might actually be an autoimmune disease, which is very, very weird, and it was the headline mm-hmm. that made me go, huh? And so this like opens the door. Maybe there's some new treatments where we could treat glaucoma by blocking the immune response. So is the pressure in the eye a separate thing that just happens to help you get glaucoma? I think the most common form of glaucoma happens partially because like your eye has like drainage ducts in it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like draining little bits of fluids that maintains the pressure. But in in like my version of glaucoma, they're still draining, but they're maybe not draining enough. And so the pressure builds up. So the stuff inside the eyeball is draining out of your eyeball all the time? Yeah. I guess I mean, yeah. just to like the outside. You can't have old stinky water in your eye forever, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a swamp in there. Yeah. Got ogres living in it. <laughs> so that's what you can, you can see them if you look up at the sky sometimes. All right. Well, I'm very in favor of finding new ways to treat glaucoma, especially because one Me of my too. friends has glaucoma. <laughs> yeah. Stephen's really had that personal uh, touch, didn't it? All right. Sam, are you ready? Yeah. Three, two, one. Sari. Wow. Oh. Uh, yeah, Sari, I like that was just too good. Saving lives with 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 <laughs> like inventive science in the past. It was so cool. Was, yeah, and I'm like mad at Nazis every day now. So it was really helpful <laughs> to like have another story to remind me in the past. People were also mad nice. at Nazis. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I suffer myself from an autoimmune disease. And so if if mm. Stefan and I end up kindred spirits in this, I will yeah. feel, you know. I feel bad for not picking your fact, but there we are. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I'm going to get some bionic eyeballs one day. That's my plan. (laughs) And now it's time to ask the science couch. We've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. It's from at a happily. (laughs) Why isn't it possible to make a few super vaccines so that people have to get less shots? Well, we kind of do have some super vaccines, right, Sari? Mm-hmm. Like the MMR vaccines kind of a all all, all at once. There's three things that <laughs> Just super three. Though. Yeah. Well, three's a lot. Three is a I lot. Guess. The, uh, if I can count it on one hand. <laughs> but from my from my understanding, there that there are several reasons for this. One is that they're different suspensions. So like they have to be treated differently and they're they like are kept together by different compounds and you can't use the same compounds for every vaccine. And then certain vaccines have different schedules. So they have to be given at different times. Like the MMR is good because they all use the same suspension and you can do them on the same schedule. Mm -hmm. Those are the two reasons I know of. That's like pretty much the sum of it. And like particularly if the schedule is different between the different compounds that you're vaccinating against, then you could give like bonus doses of certain antigens, which could lead to adverse effects or mm-hmm. like not enough of the things that you're vaccinating against. It's also really hard to separate if you have a combination vaccine, if there's a negative reaction to it, like 
which oh, antigen yeah. is causing the uh, issue. And the more you add right. to that, then the more, I don't know, variables there are. So MMR we've been talking about is a trivalent vaccine, which is measles, mumps, and rubella. And there is an FDA-approved hexavalent vaccine called Vexelis. And so it targets diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, hepatitis mm-hmm. B, poliomyelitis, invasive mm. hemophilus influenza type B. Invasive hemophilus, I think, and then influenza type B disease, maybe. Ooh. So I think six pronged vaccines are the biggest that mm-hmm. we've made so for far. Now. For, for now. now. For now. You know when you go when you're at the at the fast food restaurant and you just fill your cup with like every single yeah. soda? Yeah. It's like that. Dr. Pepper uh, orange soda. That's what I always do. It's very good. You know what I like is iced tea and Coke. That sounds great. Oh. It is really good. Oh, like Southern treat. If you want to ask the Science Couch your questions, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Shouting at Little Chris, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions to, for this episode. Final Sam Buck scores. Sari and Stefan tied for, with two. Hank and Sam coming in behind with one, which leads me... Still in the behind, Sam and Stefan tied for second and Sari in the lead. If you like this show and you want to help us out, please do it. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show and also helps other people when they're deciding, I don't know, should I listen to this new podcast or not? Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from the episode so we can chuckle along with you. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell Tell people people about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Shin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our editorial assistant is Tabuki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. One more thing. In 2014, a Peruvian Incan mummy, I was like 500-ish years old, was diagnosed with chronic Chagas disease thanks to DNA studies of a parasite found in the mummy's butt. <laughs> <laughs> what is Chagas disease? It's an infectious disease caused by a parasite found in more butts, the feces of the triatamine bug. It can cause swelling or fever. If if long-lasting, it can cause congestive heart failure. I'd like to see a mummy's butt, I suppose. It's just like a normal (laughs) butt, but wrinkly and like... All right, I'll Google mummy butt. (laughs) That's not what I was hoping for. It's not. It's a different kind of mummy butt. It's just a bunch of moms. It's a bunch of moms' oh. butts. Oh, and also it's a bunch like, of moms' butts. And also the mummy from Hotel Transylvania who apparently has a giant butt, too. It's a pretty funny butt. <laughs>